I love working in my yard. In fact, last night, before the sun went down, uh, I had been out of town for a couple of days on a trip. Lindsay and I celebrated our 20th anniversary this past week, by the way. Yeah. Got to Yay us! You're feeling it. I know. Um, but uh, So we were out of town. But we got back, and the yard was like a mess. And so I was like, guys, can we just all attack the yard together? We mowed it. We, we did it. My son did most of the work. Did a killer job. Uh, and so, but as we were there, I saw this rose bush. Now, I've told you guys about the rose bush before. In fact, I think I looked back. The last time I told you about the rose bush was probably like five years ago. And I want to give you an update on the rose bush because you've probably been thinking about like, what's happening with this rose bush? Uh, but I got to back up for those of you who don't remember or didn't hear it the first time. So let's start at the very beginning, okay? We got in this house about nine years ago, and I'm mowing the grass, and I noticed that someone has precariously placed a rose bush in a place where no rose bush needs to live, right in the middle of, like, the grass. It's not a flower bed. It's not a special place. It's just the grass. But it's this beautiful, very healthy rose bush. And so for weeks, I mowed around it. And if you mow around it, you got to come back with a weed eater. you got to be very careful with weed eaters around <laughs> rose bushes. And I'm like, this is a lot of extra work. Now, here's the deal. I am a form over fashion kind of guy. So I look at this rose bush, and I think, it's very beautiful, but it's stupid. Okay, it is, it's in the way it needs to go. So one day I'm mowing the grass, and I'm thinking to myself, I've got this giant rotating blade on wheels. Like, I could deal with this rose bush real quick. So, side note, uh, guys, if you're ever cutting your yard uh, and you're thinking about cutting down the big, giant, beautiful rose bush, you should check with your wife. I did not, uh, but decisions were made. So I mowed down the rose bush, gone. Until like three weeks later, boop, he's like coming up again. I'm like, dude, we, we have had this conversation. So I'm mowing the grass again, mowing it over again. So for months, I'm mowing the, mo- the rose bush down. And it keeps coming back, and it keeps coming back, and it keeps, so one day I'm like, fine, you win, rosebush, and we let the rosebush grow. Time out, that's the old story. I'll finish the story later. We are in a teaching series right now called Salt and Light, and we're taking a big look, a deep dive if we can, in uh, the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, and this is a section of teaching that Jesus did called the Sermon on the Mount. And so it's, a, it's like the longest uh, continuous teaching we have from Jesus in the Bible, and it covers all kinds of different subjects and topics like anything that you would need just about to get you on track to follow Jesus. And so our goal over three months is just to unpack the Sermon on the Mount piece by piece. It's my goal to read every single word with us out loud, maybe not dig into commentary on every single one, but at least read it together. I gave you the challenge last week to the challenge last week was to read your Bible, specifically Matthew 5 through 7. I hope some of you did that if you've never done it before. And for this whole year, I've been challenging us to be a church that brings our Bibles on Sundays and that takes notes during the teaching. And so if you've been trying to do that, this would be a great series to get into it on. And if you haven't, then this would be a great series to get started. So today we're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you've got a Bible, grab it. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is a biography of the life of Jesus. There's four of them in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call these the Gospels. And in chapter 5, he kicks off the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we got into what was called the Beatitudes. These are some attitudes you should be. Uh, We also talked about what does it mean to be salt and light. And then here in the middle of chapter 5, Jesus is actually going to set himself up for six long teachings, or they're not very long, but six specific teachings on Jewish law. 
So what Jesus is going to do is approach some things from their, uh, their traditional uh, religious background. And he's also going to approach from some cultural things. And in this first section of six things, he's going to specifically go into some things that happen in the Old Testament law. There was a rumor going around about Jesus, though, that he had come to destroy Judaism. Jesus was a Jew. He grew up in, in and around Galilee and Jerusalem, the place, the hub, the capital of all Judaism in the world at the time. The temple was in Jerusalem. And so the people were going around like, there's this new teacher, and he's trying to destroy our faith. And so before he gets into this teaching about like how he feels about the law and what we should do with it, he's going to set himself up and make some clarifications. And so we're just going to jump right in. It's right where we picked up, left off last time. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So he starts out talking about the law. Now here's the thing, for a Jewish person, there's almost no distinction between the law, which is uh, God's you know, instructions on how to seek him and follow him and honor him, between the law and my relationship with God. I mean, they were very interchangeable for many Jewish people. If I understand God, I understand his law. If I understand his law, I understand God. It's very important to me. And so for anyone to think that any teacher was coming to disrespect that, uh, that would be bad. <laughs> it would be very bad in their culture. Jesus starts out and said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Seth Wilson is a commentator that uh, wrote a book where he was talking about the Sermon on the Mountain. He, he explains Jesus' logic this way, and it's pretty good. He says this, the apple blossom is fulfilled when it matures into fruit, an apple. When that takes place, the blossom falls off, and it's not abolished, it's fulfilled. And so it serves a purpose. It, it's this new era that Jesus is initiating is saying, listen, the Jewish law was a blossom. It was beautiful. It served a purpose, but it has matured, and it has grown, and I am the fruit of what's happened in the past. And with that, we can read the rest of what he says here. He says in verse 18, he says, for, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappeared, disappears, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen from the law will by any means disappear until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices the teachings in these commandments will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Christianity talks a lot about grace and forgiveness. I mean, it's a big part of who we are as a church. We say, listen, uh, you, you don't have to check your baggage at the door with our church family. Come on in just like you are, but God loves you too much to leave you just the way you are. He wants to grow you, but there's grace for all of your mistakes. There's, but here's the thing. We talk so much about grace that sometimes we forget God does have expectations for us. <laughs> he wants us to live a certain way. Romans chapter uh, 6 talks about that. It says, should we keep on sinning so that grace should increase? No. No, you want to seek God with your life. And so Jesus says, listen, I'm going to get to grace later. But what I want you to understand is the law is still very useful for you understanding how to live for and follow God. And so there's, there's both. Um, whoever practices these teachings and commands will be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Then he mentions a group of people called the Pharisees. We've talked a lot about the Pharisees. In fact, two weeks ago, we made a very famous Pharisee named Nicodemus. What they're famous for is being very good at knowing the smallest parts of the law to, to the point where Jesus like calls them out for being pretty legalistic at many times. Um, but he says this about them in verse 20. He says, I tell you that unless your righteousness, hear this guys, unless your righteousness 
surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So these are people who are trying to follow the smallest letters of the law, but for some reason they're not achieving righteousness. And so Jesus says, listen, you, we got to do better. Remember last week, if you were here last week, I, talk, I closed by talking about a football coach who comes into the team who's been losing and just says, look, we've been losing. Things have got to change around here. And this is what Jesus is saying. Guys, you know the rules to the game, but you're not honoring me. You're not living righteously. Things have got to change, and I came to do that. So that's really the setup for the next six portions. In fact, I think, if I think about my sermon planning, I think like the next six sermons are about these next six sections he gets into. And to, to get us going, he's going to kick us off by giving us like this almost a logic puzzle. And so I want to play a little game with you this morning, just see if you can follow Jesus' logic that he's going to get into. Uh, so here's how this works. It's kind of like option A, option B, okay? A, B, I'm going to ask you a question. You guys decide which one is the most logical answer, okay? So here's question number one. If the power in your house went out today while you're watching TV, okay? You're watching TV and the power goes out, do you, A, make sure you keep a good seat so in case the power comes back on, you can still see the TV really good. That's not a bad idea. Or B, go check the breaker box and see if maybe something tripped in the breaker box and maybe you could fix the power. All right, who thinks we should A, just sit and wait? Who thinks we should B, check the power? Yeah, all right, you see how this goes. These aren't going to be hard decisions. Question two, you get a letter from your kid, your kid's teacher. Kid's teacher says, listen, uh, your kid's failing every single class because they can't read very well. Tragic. A, do you encourage your kid to sit closer to the smart kids and copy everything that they do because maybe that will help? Or B, do you take a little extra time with your kids when they get home from school and help them with their reading and help them improve? A or B? B, B you're good parents. Congratulations. Question three, you came to a scene of an accident. In the event the person was seriously cut, okay, and they're bleeding. They're bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. It's, it's life-threatening. Okay, do you A? First, apply pressure to the cut and try to stop the bleeding. Or B, try to find a paper towel to wipe the blood off their face because it's very icky. Stop the bleeding. Okay, so you get the point. Jesus is going to talk about our sin this morning, and he's going to suggest this very simple thing. The only way to deal with sin is by dealing with it at its source. Turn on the power, check the breaker box, teach your kids how to read, stop the bleeding. The, when it comes to our relationship with God and our ability to live a life that honors him, if there is sin in our life, we don't just snip off the peripheral branches and be like, this looks pretty, but we go to the heart. And we try to find out what's really hurting us and separating us from a relationship with God. So that's the framework for the next big chunk of scripture. So Jesus is teaching us to deal with our sin at the root. All right, we got that? All right, let's move on. So starting at verse 21, Jesus is going to top, st jump into the first of six topics. And his first topic is murder. <laughs> I don't know why, but when I say murder, I feel like I should say it like a sinister bad guy in a cartoon. Murder. And so in, in verse 21, uh, all of you guys who struggle with the sin of murder, this is for you. You have heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. 
You have heard it said, this is calling back to the um, Ten Commandments. And so there's, there's over 300 laws in the Old Testament that the Jewish people tried to keep to honor God. But there was like 10 in, like, very fundamental ones that really set up our relationship with God and our relationship with humans. That was kind of the purpose of the Ten Commandments. And one of the most important ones is don't murder. Now here's the thing. You don't need the Ten Commandments to understand you shouldn't murder. Cultures around the world have condemned this. We've all agreed that you shouldn't murder. It's not that big thing, okay? But, but, but it, is, it is in the rules, okay? So you shouldn't murder. But then in verse 22, he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So there's a big, like, twist here. Murder is wrong, but he's saying, listen, anger is also going to lead to judgment. According to Jewish law, it is a sin against mankind and against God to kill someone. But according to Jesus, if you are living in anger, you've gone too far. That is the seed, that is the, like the nugget of what Jesus is about to teach through. And so this morning, I want to talk about our anger, our temper, the way that we respond to the world around us and how healthy or unhealthy it might be. He goes on. He says again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is an Aramaic like slang cut down. It basically means you empty-headed idiot, like dummy. Like that says this is something you would say. Anyone who calls someone that, we have our own phrases like that, is answerable to court. Listen to this. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. This thing just got real, like, things escalated here, okay? Like, okay, we shouldn't murder. Okay, I understand angry is bad. If I call someone a dummy, an idiot, or a fool, I'm in danger of the fires of hell. How is that, Jesus? What about grace? What about forgiveness? Where do we go with that? Jesus has something to say to all of us who don't struggle with murder. I do want to step aside and say this. God's grace is huge, and there have been many cases where people who have killed people, have found the grace of God and their life has changed, and there's grace for that. But Jesus wants to talk about what's underlying some of these harder sins. And what he suggests is that at the root of it is just a discontent anger. Every day we watch the news and you hear about senseless killings and violence. It's not always killings, you know, just fights and guns and war around the world. And you get right down to it, anger is at the root of almost all of it. In fact, when I really got my life serious about Jesus, I was 18 or 19 years old when I, I mean, like, I grew up in church and I knew God, but like, when I really was like, I got to work on this, I realized quickly, probably my biggest problem was anger. Ask my wife, we were dating at the time. And so I had to really work on this. So if this is you, I understand Seeds of anger are everywhere, and so like you might picture this red-faced, angry, you know, politician screaming somewhere, and like that's not me. But I want you to back that up a little bit and just ask yourself, where is anger in your life? The seeds of anger could happen while you're driving your car. Okay, you're driving your car, someone cuts you off in traffic. Ooh, I've been in some of your cars when that happened, and it's not pretty, right? Or someone forgets to use their turn signal, and how do you respond? <laughs> how dare you, you? idiot, you empty-headed fool, what did, they, what did Jesus say? Like, that's exactly how we respond to people. How dare you not be as pristine of a driver as me? Ah, I never make mistakes in my life. You, you have a less than perfect day. 
or a less than perfect experience at, at, at a restaurant. And how do you treat the waitress when she doesn't give you the refill that you asked for? Or your food is not cooked correctly? Or ah, we wanted mashed potatoes, not french fries. And not only that, but you're so upset that you're talking about it three days later. You might not ever go back to that restaurant again. It was so terrible. Ah, I'm a king. Treat me like one. Maybe you do this to your spouse. They kind of tick you off a little bit. Or maybe you just had a bad day. I don't know what caused it. But you're intentionally making their life difficult. Hey, you think you could wash your dish? Why don't you wash your own dish? I wash my dish when you wash your dish. Huh? How about that? How about we all wash our own dishes? I'm pretty sure I've, I'm at 84% dishes myself. You know what I mean? Like we do that. We keep all these records and we start, and this anger builds up and it stews. Like there's a bubbling, there's a sizzling, there's a steam that begins to happen. And it starts to affect our life. My relationship with my spouse, your relationship with a coworker. They did something that made you mad, but now you're talking about them in the break room and you're ruining their reputation. And probably your own reputation, because man, that lady's grumpy. <laughs> Jesus compares anger to murder here. And I see why. Because I have heard people say, I wanted to kill him. She does that again. Like, for real? Wow. God's words are important, and we should use them wisely and accurately. And maybe you don't kill someone. Uh, if you do, you should stop that. <laughs> but <laughs> it leads to terrible things that don't honor God. You know, uncontrolled anger corrodes relationships. Does it? I think so. Uncontrolled anger leads to bad reputation. Uncontrolled anger leads to divorce. Uncontrolled anger leads to destruction of property and a distorted view of reality and, and even alienation from people who really want to help you. I've tried to talk to you, but man, I can't talk to you. You're just so angry all the time. And so Jesus said, listen, if we want to deal with this whole category of sin, we've got to kill it at the root. We've got to dig it up. And dry it out and burn it in the fire. And it begins with these seeds of anger so that we can live as people of peace. So what do we do about it? Well, I think it begins by understanding a couple things. The first thing we understand is this. Anger is a God-given emotion. Okay? So that's, that's one thing. Anger is not all bad. We have a whole slew of emotions that we deal with, just like joy or fear or sadness or excitement. It's, just, it's in the little toolbox that God gave us to respond to the world. And so anger is okay in some things. There are things you should be angry about. You know, you should be angry about injustice. You should be angry when people mistreat children. You should be angry when people are, are corrupt or immoral or dishonest. Like these things, anger by itself isn't a sin. The Bible calls God a God of wrath. You read the Old Testament, tell me God isn't angry about a few things. He's like, you know what, this nation, <laughs> no more. You don't need to exist on the face of the planet anymore because of how unrighteous you have been in destroying the lives of people. Okay, so anger, is, it, there's a place for that. This is called righteous indignation. Anytime that something in the world comes into conflict and direct disrespect or dishonor of God, we can look at that and be like, that's not okay. And I'm not happy about it. Okay, so that's, that's the side of it. And we could talk about a lot more of that. But here's the other side of it. Anger becomes sin 
when it leads to unrighteousness. Anger becomes sin when it leads to unrighteousness. Like if you find yourself cussing somebody out because you're angry, you haven't gone too far. You are being unrighteous. You are not honoring God with your mouth and with your time and with your thoughts. You are being unrighteous. Anger becomes sin when it leads to unrighteousness. When you plan to hurt someone else because you're angry at them, that's unrighteousness. When our anger comes from a place of self-obsession, how dare they do this to me? How dare they? When it comes from a place of vengeance, it's sin. And so many people are angry because no one else will see them as the center of the world or won't give them their way. And a lot of things happen and it's just not okay with God. And it will destroy our relationship with him. The world tells us all these phrases like, I've heard this phrase, maybe you've heard it, don't, don't get back, get even. I don't even know how that's different, but it's just angrier, isn't it? And we train our kids like if they hit you first, you hit them second. Just so you know, that is not what Jesus taught. That is opposite of what Jesus taught. And I know that you are so tough. But Jesus got himself nailed to a cross for stuff he didn't even do. Okay? So chill the heck out with these terrible advices to our children. Jesus said if someone slaps you, you turn the other cheek. Do we let people abuse us? No. No, is it okay to let injustice happen? No, that's the righteous indignation. But we don't add to it by throwing punches and pulling out guns. But that's what the world teaches. Go key their car, <laughs> toilet paper their front yard, which can be kind of funny, but that's not cool, right? <laughs> Hit people where it hurts. Jesus says, kill your sin at the roots, and you will stand as salt and light which is what we talked about last week. It makes a difference. So he keeps teaching, verse 23. Therefore, if, listen to this. Okay, you're at church right now. So this is similar to what they would be dealing with in a synagogue or if they went to a temple. So this is actually the setting for where this really fits. But it also could happen at worship night on the beach later or anytime during your week. But listen to what he teaches them. Uh, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, a.k.a. you're worshiping, okay, and you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Jesus says managing your anger against a brother or sister is actually a way to worship me. If you're in the middle of a worship time experience, you're trying to read your Bible, you're trying to just think about God, and you're like, I can't because it's like this, this uh, you know, you know what it is, like it's in the back of your mind. Jesus says, you want to praise me? Go deal with that. Call them, text them, meet them for coffee, have them over for dinner. They might not meet you halfway even, but you've got to do your part. I love that. It's like God says, don't, don't, don't bring that drama into my house. <laughs> you need to leave that out on the front porch. Go deal with that brother or sister. Then come back and worship me. And man, I will be so proud of you. Because he knows how much of a big deal it is. It'll stand in the way between us and him. Uh, I understand there's anger that's like just simmering from the past. And sometimes like I can't even deal with it. I don't know how to call that person. I don't know how to deal with it. Whew. I, I wish this was a group counseling session. I don't think we have the building that long today. They got to open at one. Um, but maybe you need to sit with someone and just work through that. 
because you, you might be in a position where you don't have the opportunity to make it right. Or maybe they're not a brother and sister. Like, they're not on the same page as you. They're not a believer. And so, you know, they don't care. <laughs> they don't care what you say. But what can you do? What can you do to let, let that go so that you're not seething, so you're not boiling, so that you're not bubbling inside you? Does that make sense? Um, verse 25. And so settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Now we're getting into legal battles. We live in a culture that's like sue happy. Okay, that's why you have a sign of waiver every time your kids go anywhere. Just, I don't know, they might break a leg and we don't want to lose our whole organization over this. So you recognize you might get hurt some places. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid every last Penny. Now, we don't walk to court with our adversaries anymore. I guess that was a thing. Uh, there's a good chance that you might not see your adversary until you get to court. But the, the principle here is, let's avoid court. Let's avoid letting other people, especially this was a big thing in some other places in the New Testament, among Christians. If you find out that another person is also a believer, before you take them to court, this is mind-blowing and it's countercultural. And, and I know there's some legal people in here who say, like, this actually, I couldn't advise this as your legal counsel. But Jesus says, go talk to them and see if you can work it out without taking it to court. Because if two believers take each other to court, what is that teaching the world about our faith? You guys can't get along with each other. Why would I want to be like you? <laughs> so I get it. People are jerks. Maybe you can't make sense with them, but you have to do your part. Anger is like a, a festering infection. Uh, it, it, like, like back before uh, antibiotics and band-aids and <laughs> the sense just to wash your cuts after you hurt yourself. Like people would get infections and it would kill them. I'd cut my foot walking down the road and like three weeks later they're just dead. What happened? I don't know. His leg turned green and he died. I don't know. <laughs> um, and that's the way anger can be. A little cut. Then it hurts, then it grows, and then it festers, and then it becomes bigger and bigger in our lives to where it drives wedges between us and other people and wedges between us and God. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this. This is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, but this was, uh, Lindsay and I, it's cool, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary, and I just remembered this week as I was preparing the sermon that uh, at one of our like bridal showers, you know, they give you the stuff that you probably don't need a lot of it, but it's really fun. And we had like five toasters. I do, that's a literal, we had so many toasters. But they had gift receipts, so that was good. Um, but we, I remember one thing they did was a bunch of people from the church wrote little um, notes on index cards and put them in a box, and we read them later, and it was advice for marriage. And uh, Clarence and Marie Williams, uh, they were some of the oldest people that I knew. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you're a kid, they're just like, oh, they're old. Uh, but I love them, man. They were just like, I don't know, grandparents to me at, at our church. They were great, great people. And um, they, they, Marie wrote on this index card, and she wrote, the only advice she wrote was this scripture. So, this for you. Um, Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. She wrote that on the card, and then she pulled us aside, and she said, hey, I put this on the card. And if you knew Marie, uh, she will always tell you an extra story. So she, she'll pull you aside. She said, I want to tell you why, what I put on your card. I'm like, wait, isn't that why you wrote it down? I want to tell you, too. And then she said, do not go to bed angry at each other. Great advice. And we've done our best to live that out for 20 years. Um, sometimes you need some time to cool off. 
But the principle here is deal with it. Not confront and fight, but how can I humbly approach someone and move forward so that I don't wake up later with it's deeper inside me. That seed that's planted, that begins to grow. Now, uh, to the seriously angry, we have people in our world, maybe people in this room, who are seriously angry. Like, you've got a deep cut. First, I am so sorry, whatever happened. Um, you might even look back and be like, I don't even know what happened at this point. I'm just still angry, but I don't even remember. So, but whatever it is, I'm sorry. I hope that you can find some healing for that. I hope that this could be a place and a family for you. Um, but can I ask you, if you've got a major anger issue in your life, can you start today by taking it to Jesus? The simple act of praying to God about something you're angry about, this is fun because it actually might make you more angry at first. <laughs> you start talking about it to God and you're like, ah, oh, this is why I don't like talking about this and why haven't you fixed this already? And blah, blah, blah. That's part of the process, actually. Sometimes things have to get worked out, okay? So don't be scared. Scared away from taking it to God if that happens at the beginning, it may. But what I've seen is I've seen people go to God with their anger, and I've seen it healed. Um, if it's really bad, you might need help, other people. I say it all the time. No one should venture alone. You should do this with people. And so maybe you need to grab someone and say, look, i got to talk about this. It's something from my childhood. It's something from work. It's something from my marriage, whatever. Start talking about it. And if they start giving you advice that is not in conjunction with the things that scripture teaches you need to stop taking advice from them you need to find someone who will help you honor God in this situation because you won't get through it otherwise not in a way that honors God and work through it together you might need to seek some professional counseling that people have full-time jobs to help you talk about your anger find the tools to dig up the roots of where all this anger is coming from don't let it fester. Don't let it grow. It will kill the plan that God has for your life. So remember the rose bush? It's been a couple years since I talked about the rose bush. I mowed it down. I mowed it down, and it came back. And I mowed it down, and it came back, and I mowed it down, and it came back. And that bush has been there for years. Um, but over the fall, uh, when we didn't have to mow the grass, and this thing was doing great. Man, this is beautiful. <laughs> Wow. I'm like, what are the roots? And I remembered this sermon. In fact, uh, I don't know how many of like, my sermons from the past that you like remember because you know, it's a lot of them. I don't remember most of them. I mean, I teach like 52 a year, a little bit less than that. It's a lot, right? But for some reason, that rose bush has stuck out to me because every time I mow the grass, I'm like, Ugh. and I was like, oh yeah, get anger. And um, because the whole point of the rose bush, the first time I talked about it was like, you got to deal with anger at the roots or it'll keep coming back. And I'm like, I should really do something about that rose bush. So I went out there, and with my wife's blessing, we dug it up, and it had a serious root. And you know what we did? We replanted it in the front yard, in the flower bed, and it's doing quite well. Uh, I don't know how that metaphor transfers to your life. Like, I don't think you should dig up your anger and put it in someone else's yard. Like, that's probably not, <laughs> not good advice. But the point is this. I haven't had to mow a rose bush this year. We got to deal with our sin at the root, um, and it will change us. Jesus takes our anger seriously, and I think it's because he understands how it affects our heart. And so over the course of the rest of this teaching, he's got five more issues that are going to go back to Jewish law. So often it's going to come back to our heart, because it's easy for us to become a people that's all about outward appearances. I look good, I attend church, I even volunteered at a thing I didn't have to be at. Pat myself on the back. 
But what God wants to know is, where's your heart? No, you're seeking me with it. Let's deal with anger at the roots. Let's pray.